um, and we are going to jump in to the first week of our brand new learning journey uh, on Jonah. Who's excited? What, what do you guys know about Jonah? What's Jonah about? One word. Running away, whale. That's it, right? Running away from whales. Jonah is a story in the Bible about running away from whales. We're going to do four weeks on running away from whales. That's not true. Uh, So tonight we're starting this new learning journey on the book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah is one of these famous kids' stories from the Bible, right? Like anytime you have a kid's Bible, anytime you have a Veggie Tales, anytime you have a flannel graph, like you know there's a whale in the flannel graph set because it's going to happen. There's a lot of boats. There are boats all over the Bible. Jesus is in boats all the time. People... There's not that many whales or big fish in the Bible. There's a lot of fish in in Jesus' fishing stories, but in Jonah, there's the big fish. So you have it in the flannel graph. It's like one of these popular stories we like to tell. We love telling our kids these stories of mass destruction. It's one of the things that we love when we think about kids' Bibles and veggie tales. The good news is that Jonah is not actually a story about mass destruction, and it's not a story about the ability or lack of ability of a human being fitting inside the innards of a fish. And it's not really even a story about Jonah. So what the heck? What is it about? Well, the book of Jonah is a story about God and how God calls people. So it's a story of calling, hearing and listening and putting into practice the invitations of God. It's a story of calling and it's a story of character and characters. It's about God's character. And it's about how the character of God engages the character of Jonah and Jonah's character. So you can think about like a character, like someone who is a, a character in a play. It's like the whole person. And then you think about the character, like what's going on on the inside. So this is a story about God's character and Jonah's character. And it's about God's calling and God's calling. How does God call people? And what does God call people to? I think, I think that in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, the story of Jonah is one of the most curious and compelling interactions between humans and God. I just think if you read, like, if you, like, go past the, the, like, real quick version that we all know about, like, he runs away, and then there's a whale, and then something happens to the whale. When you get into it, when you read the story, it is one of the most curious explorations of how God views humans and how God invites humans uh, to participate in the work that God is doing in the world. So we're going to spend four weeks on Jonah. Um, The story of Jonah invites us as readers, as followers of Jesus today, it invites us to ask questions about God and about God's character and about God's calling that throughout the entire book of Jonah, Jonah is unwilling or uninterested in asking. Jonah doesn't get curious throughout almost the entire book. So we are going to be invited as we look through the story of Jonah to ask the questions that Jonah never asks. So this month, we're going to be asking questions like, who is this God of mercy and forgiveness? We're going to be asking whether and how God speaks. How do we hear God's voice? Where do we find courage? What happens if we lose our way? What is God's heartbeat for the world? And what is our place in this story? And just a brief outline of where we're headed uh, week by week. Jonah 1, Jonah 2, Jonah 3, and then surprise, Jonah 4. Um, So we're looking at calling and hearing in Jonah 1, sinking and praying in Jonah 2, following and repenting in Jonah 3, and brooding and mirroring in Jonah 4. Mirroring is in like, how does this story invite us to reflect on ourselves and the state of our own heart and our own character as we reflect on this journey that Jonah has been on? 
Does that sound good? Four weeks on the most compelling, curious, weird story about running away from fish that you will ever encounter in the Bible. That's not actually about running away from fish. Um, So I'm going to start us out with Jonah 1. You can follow along in a Bible or a device or just listen in to Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked them, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? That's a great question. What kind of work do you do? (laughs) Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? Not what do you do, but what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, Jonah replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Pause the story. That's where we're going to stop tonight. So think about that, that story of Jonah starting off at home, hearing God's voice, and then running, getting on the ship, and then being thrown to the ocean, and now he's in the belly of a big fish. Um, So now my question is, what's the noisiest part of your day? This is a question. We were talking about it before, remember? Before? This is like whiplash, like... A few, a few places that are the noisiest parts of your day. Bart. Classroom with 32 high school students talking at once. Ron Tastic said, while we were singing tonight, was the loudest part of his day. Anything else? Loudest, noisiest part of your day? 
Bedtime. Yep. It's like a thousand amens to that one. We don't clap much, but we'll clap for bedtime. We clap all the time. We snap. That's right. Um, This is just a a thing that's true in the world. Continued exposure to noise above 85 decibels over time will cause hearing loss. That's cool, right? Um, Freeway traffic. So 85 decibels over time, it's going to hurt your hearing. What do you think freeway traffic is? Let's go 0 to 150. 65, that's pretty close. 70. Regular freeway traffic, we live close to the 680. 70. We're okay. Long periods of time, our our ears are going to be okay. Heavy freeway traffic, what do you think heavy freeway traffic? Like you're sitting in the middle of it, and there's a lot of it. 85. Over time, it's going to start to hurt your ears. Um, Someone's shouting, a shout. What's a shout? Jane says 95. Do I have $1? Uh, 110. Motorcycle? Oh, everyone wants to talk about the motorcycle. Come on. Come on. It's 95. It's not that high over 85. Uh, Thunder? 120. 120 for thunder. Coffee grinder? It depends on your coffee grinder, right? Like, everyone's a little different. Uh, 80. You're totally fine. You can make as much coffee as you want. Your ears will not be negatively affected by your coffee grinding. Baby crying? 150. <laughs> off the charts, off the charts. 110. 110. It's not great. Rainfall? Like the rain falling? 50. 50 for a rainfall. Whispers? 30. 30 for whispers. What about breathing? 10. But picture yourself when it's raining and you hear whispers and breathing and it's really creepy. You'd like rather lose your hearing than be in a creepy rainstorm with whispers and breathing. Anyways, so no surprise to us, we live in a noisy world. And it's not just that noises distract us or hurt our ears, but noises entertain us and they invite us and they influence us and they guide us and they tug us in certain directions. Um, There's a rabbi who's written that it's practically impossible in this world today, to differentiate between true feeling, like the things that are happening on the inside, and external noise. It's practically impossible to differentiate between internal feelings and external noise. Um, another writer, Kali Lawson, says that quiet feels foreign in this world that we live in. It feels foreign. like It's not a concept we understand. Um, I've shared this before, um, but there's research that shows that uh, human-caused noise is like disrupting all kinds of things in our world. Human-caused noise, that's by people like us, uh, disrupts the migration patterns of birds. Um, it causes nocturnal animals to become active and awake during the day. It interrupts the communication ability of whales. See, there's a connection to Jonah here. Um, it changes the very songs that birds sing. Human-caused noise makes birds sing different songs. Birds in urban environments will chirp higher, shorter, and faster than the same bird in a rural environment. When we lived in Los Angeles, there was a mockingbird who lived outside our house, and this mockingbird had memorized, and in piercing mockingbird fashion, would repeat the car alarm of our neighbor. Like, like over and over again, like all night long, the mockingbird does the car alarm. So if noise is changing the world around us, noise is also changing us. So questions that we should be asking is what are we missing because of the noise that's in our lives? 
What are we unable to hear because of the constancy of static and hum and white noise that surrounds us all the time? And does or how does all of this noise hinder our ability to hear the very voice and calling of God? Jump back in uh, to Jonah's story. Jonah doesn't live in the 21st century Bay Area. Um, He doesn't deal with the noise and the busyness and the frenetic pace of life, uh, the rush and the rigmarole that we all deal with. Jonah lives in the 700s B.C., It's like a long, like 2,800 years ago. They haven't even invented vinyl. Um, He doesn't have any coffee to grind. Like, all of the birds that sing around him sing exactly the songs that the birds are supposed to sing. So, like, Jonah doesn't have the problem that we have of, like, all of the external noise around us constantly distracting us and taking our attention away. But think about these first two verses in Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come before me. Does Jonah hear God? Is a question. We got a lot of yeses. Anyone want to play the opposite? What does that mean? I don't know. We got a lot of, does Jonah hear God? Yeah. But, Jonah ran away. He ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Um, so Jonah here, he doesn't have any problem like hearing God's voice and discerning what God is inviting him into. Uh, Jonah just doesn't do anything about it. Actually, actually, he does do something about it, right? Like he's like, I'm going to find the first ship to Tarshish and move over there. So like Jonah lives here, like kind of in the, the ancient Near East. Uh, Nineveh is like 500 miles this way. 500 miles is a long way to go. Like, Jonah could have said, like, I don't have sandals. Like, 500 miles is a long way to go. So he's like, I'm, I, I will, like he doesn't even say anything. He just says, like, God says, go here 500 miles this way. And Jonah says, I'm going to go to Tarshish. You know what Tarshish is? It's like on the coast of Spain. It's literally like the edge of the world that anyone could have possibly conceived of. 2,500 miles through the Mediterranean Sea, Jonah's going to go there. He doesn't want to go 500 miles north to Nineveh. He's going to try to get 2,500 miles away to literally the edge of the world where he probably believed he was going to fall off of earth. Like, that's what Jonah would rather do than listen to what God had to say. So Jonah hears the words of God, but he doesn't obey the words of God. He does something else entirely. Um, there's a Hebrew word. It's a, it's a Hebrew word that's common throughout the Old Testament, Shema. Like, there's a, like the most... Uh, kind of the most common and sacred Jewish prayer in the Hebrew scriptures is called the Shema. Shema Yisrael. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Um, this is the Shema. Like, hear, listen, Israel. So this Hebrew word Shema, it means to hear or to listen. But it also means, the very same word doesn't just mean hear and listen. It means also respond and obey. And it doesn't mean, like, in some contexts, it's talking about listening with your ears, and in other contexts, it's talking about obeying. It's one concept, to hear and listen and to respond and obey. It's a singular word for hearing and listening and obeying and responding. There's no separation in Hebrew between hearing and responding, listening and putting into practice. It's all one concept that's integrated together. You live out what you hear, or you're not actually hearing it. Does that make sense? Shema, do you hear only if you're actually living it out? Otherwise, are you hearing anything at all in the fullest sense of the word? So does Jonah hear God? 
Not really, right? He doesn't really hear, not in the Hebrew sense of hearing anyways. Like, like it's clear he understood, like, by the, his desire to go to Spain, he knew God was asking him to do something he didn't want to do. But does he hear God? Not really. So we have all this external noise in the world around us. Uh, Jonah doesn't have all that external noise, right? There's no highways. He doesn't ride a motorcycle to Tarshish. He gets on a boat. It's not even a motorboat. It's a quiet sailboat. But Jonah doesn't have the external noise, but there is so much self-inflicted internal noise in him, in his, in, his, in his life, in his world, to actually hear God's voice and live what he hears. So what is this noise that prevents Jonah from truly hearing God? What do you think? You guys, everyone's heard the story of Jonah probably. What is the internal noise that prevents Jonah from hearing God and really hearing him? Not just hearing him, but like hearing him to Nineveh. What's the noise? Fear? Yep. What's he afraid of? Dying? But he's going to go all the way to the edge of the world. He's going to fall off. But he's, sure, there's fear. He's afraid of dying. Failing, yeah, maybe. I think he's afraid that God will be right. He's afraid that God will be right. How so? Nick is spoiling the story. Cover your ears. Don't hear this. So Jonah might be afraid of what he thinks God might do. Yep. Yeah. He says it later on. Yeah. So the a question for the, for the audience, all of us, is God afraid, is Jonah afraid God will destroy the Ninevites? Or is, God, is Jonah afraid God won't destroy the Ninevites? Ninevites in Hebrews, not great. Not so good. Nineveh is, like, Nineveh is like the capital of empire um, that's like crushing everybody. Cruel, um, mean. They're like, they are the, the baddies in the ancient Near East. Not good. But, you know, Jonah's going there, and he's like the one who's supposed to call out destruction. Like, what if God destroys the city of Nineveh while Jonah's still in the city? So maybe, maybe Jonah is afraid of, like, what might happen. Um, Eric? He's afraid of what? The guilt. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't want to be part of, part of this story of destruction. Perhaps. Um, prejudice? We're talking a lot about fear. I think there's a chance that uh, if Jonah knows who God is, not just like the God who says, like, I'm going to, like, God doesn't say he's going to destroy Nineveh here. He says, go to Nineveh, preach against it, because its wickedness is rising up before God. It doesn't say there that God is going to destroy Nineveh. So Jonah might be thinking, like, gosh, I know who this character of God is. Like, I hate these people. All of my people hate all of those people. And I know that there's a chance that this may not end, out well, end up well for Israel. I think there's some prejudice involved here in Jonah's lack of hearing what God is saying. Yeah, racism. Prejudice, racism. Um, he, has a, he has an idea of who's in with God and who's absolutely not. And why would he waste his time? He's a Hebrew. Why should he go talk to these people who aren't? His life is on the line. 
Yeah. So there's all, there's all this stuff. He doesn't want to go. His life is online. There's fear. There's prejudice. There's probably a thousand other things. This is all speculation. Like, this is not like, oh, yeah, if you read in the Hebrew, it says exactly what Jonah's feeling on the inside. It doesn't. Um, but there is this internal noise that prevents Jonah from hearing the call of God on his life. And as we see, as we move through the, the next couple of chapters of this story, this is actually fairly disastrous. We already see it's, it's a little bit disastrous for Jonah, right? Like, he ends up in the ocean, and then he's swallowed by a whale or a big fish or something that we don't understand, like... How is that even possible? Like, I don't know. This is a disaster for Jonah to be called by God, but not to really hear, hear God's calling. Um, and it's curious because in this chapter, I think this points to some of this internal noise that's happening. This chapter is full of dialogue. This chapter is full of conversation that's happening. Everybody is talking to everybody, almost. God speaks to Jonah, the captain of the boat. We assume that Jonah's like, pays for his ticket, and he's talking to the, to the captain. The captain talks to Jonah. The sailors talk to each other. The sailors talk to Jonah. The sailors talk to God. But there's one line of communication in the midst of all of these characters that is totally closed off. So Jonah hears God's voice. He hears it, kind of, right? He hears God's voice, and he just acts out a no, but he never says no. He never once in this whole chapter asks God a question. He never once in this story second guesses what God has asked him to do. And the scriptures are full of people who second guess what God has asked them to do. Really? Me? Am I the right one? Like, shouldn't you ask my brother? Or like, who am I that you would ask me? Like, like, God, would you spare this city? Like, you said you're going to do this, but please would you relent? Like, over and over again in the scriptures, like, people second guess and ask questions of God. Not here. So Jonah really doesn't want to do this, but he's not jumping into conversation and dialogue with God, right? The sailors on the ship, like these are the sailors who each believe in their own God. The sailors on the ship beg Jonah to call out to God, to beg for mercy, to, to, to calm the seas. And Jonah is silent. He doesn't say a thing to God. So we started off and we're talking about the noisiest parts of our life, all of this external noise that can prevent us from hearing God, but there's also this internal noise. And Jonah is like the perfect example of this internal noise, sometimes or often self-inflicted, that can keep us from hearing God. Um, so some of the questions that rise up from the text as I read Jonah 1 and, and invite us into this story. Um, how does God speak and how can we hear some of us might just be asking, does God speak, and can we hear? Uh, but I'm inviting us into, how does God speak? How can we hear? Um, and I've got three thoughts for us tonight. Um, silence, the noise, pay attention, and prepare. Um, and a little bit about these things. Silence the noise, or at least name it and quiet it. We've talked, qu- name it and quiet it. We've talked about external noise, we've talked about internal noise, but silencing these noises is critical to hearing God. Throughout the scriptures, if you read it from beginning to end, it's often in the spaces of wilderness or in the quiet of the night or in solitude away from crowds that people experience God, that people hear God's voice. And I think it's why from the beginning to the end of the scriptures, dreams are such a big deal 
in the scriptures. It's like this space that's away from the noise, away from the busyness, away from all our habits and rhythms and patterns of life, where the deepest parts of us, our brains, are like still active and open and processing information. And somehow, like, we are able to receive something in these like deep spaces of like we're sleeping, but we're not dead. Like, we're awake and we're still like processing information. Um, God speaks it seems, in the quiet places, in the places of solitude, in silence. Um, This is a very strange, strange example. Um, Twice in the last few years, I have come to believe fairly, with with a fair amount of confidence, that God has woken me up in order for something. I don't always know what it is, but there's two different instances where I feel like I've been, like, jolted awake in the middle of the night, and that there's, like, a very specific reason that I've been woken up. Um, and, nor, like, I, I generally sleep pretty well. Um, I don't wake up very often. I go to bed within, like, 10 seconds of hitting the pillow. Um, and I sleep fairly well most of the time. Um, but once in Los Angeles, there were five nights in a row where I woke up at 3.17 a.m. There's, like, a clock next to my bed. It's, like, one of those flippy plat- paddle ones where, like, the, little, the numbers fall. They don't wake me up. But, like, I woke up and I saw, like, the flippy paddles were at, like, 3.17, like, five nights in a row. That's just weird, Right? That's weird. And then, like, a couple years later, the same thing happened. So it's not like one night I woke up and I'm like, it must have been God, like, waking me up. It's like over the course of, like, three, four, five nights, like, I'm waking up at the exact same time. Like, sure, that could be a coincidence. Come on. So, like, there, there are these times, and, like, in both of those things, it was like, goodness, like, I went from this, like, what's going on here? I'm so tired to, like, huh, maybe something's going on here. Maybe there's something that I'm not aware of that I need to be aware of. Maybe there's some area. Um, one of these was like, maybe there's an area of gratitude that you're not expressing gratitude. And I'm like, why would God waste his time waking up this 20-something millennial who doesn't want to be woken up? Like, why is the God of the universe doing that? It's like, oh, because I want to be a person of gratitude. It's like something I'm like working on. And like at this time, it was like 317, 317, 317, 317. What's going on here? Is something going on here in the quiet place of the night that God might be speaking Could it be that the only time God could get my attention was in the silence, in the quiet of the night? So a question that I'm always asking myself is, how can I more often silence the noise around me, the external noise and the internal noise? How can I present myself in the noise as someone who's ready to listen and to hear? So silence the noise, pay attention. Um, God speaks in a multitude of ways. Um, In the scriptures, and this is just like off the top of my head from earlier, God speaks through creation, God speaks through animals, God speaks through friends, God speaks through enemies, God speaks through clouds, God speaks through fire, God speaks through whispers and shouts and rocks, and through the words of scripture. Like, God speaks in many different ways throughout the scripture. There's like almost a lack of predictability to what God's voice, what form God's voice will take. But that's always coupled with this consistent trustworthiness of God's voice. So like, there's a tension there. It's like you never know like, how God is going to show up and speak. And yet, like, there's a consistent, faithful trustworthiness of what God's voice sounds like. What, what the words, the message, the, the things that God is imparting to you, implanting on your heart. It doesn't always happen in the same way, but there's going to be a similar similarity to the sound. So like the, the timber of the voice of God. Does that make sense? It's like it might happen in a rock or a fire or a shout or a whisper or a coffee grinder. But like the message is going to be like one of these messages of consistency. 
I am who you say I am. It's probably one of the most common things that I think God speaks to us humans. Uh, for me, a lot of the times, paying attention looks like inviting others into like, this, this process of discernment. Like The consistent piece of how God's voice speaks to me happens in the presence and discernment of others. Um, there's a Quaker practice called a clearness committee. Um, and several times when Chrissy and I have been facing like major crossroads in life and are trying to figure out what's going on, like we're each praying and discerning and journaling together. Uh, we're having conversations with, with each other. But we've also invited this group of people, trusted friends of ours, uh, to what we call or what Quakers call a clearness committee. It's a trusted group of friends um, who show up to listen and then to ask open-ended questions. Um, I value the advice of my friends. I value their opinions. But this, like, this time of this clearness committee is not about advice or opinions. It's helping us listen in to the voice of God. So there's been times where we've asked our friends to suspend their opinions and help us listen to the voice of God speaking around us. So a question about paying attention. How am I paying attention to all of the places and the people through which God might speak to me? How am I paying attention to all of the avenues and channels and possibilities of where God might speak? And there's a lot of them. So how are we the kind of people who pay attention? And then the last one, prepare. Um, Just because we're not hearing God doesn't mean that God isn't speaking. Right now, as I stand here and as you sit here, there are radio waves and television signals, and like all of the World Wide Web is like passing through our bodies right now. But hopefully, none of us are actually like picking up on like AM, FM, UHF, VHF, www.whatever.us, or whatever, whatever it is, whatever, whatever, um, right? Like, so, so there's all these things that are passing through, but we're not thankfully tuned in to receive all of them unless we like, are using a radio receiver on our phone or something like that. In the same way, might God be speaking more often than we are tuned in to receive? And are there then things that we can do in the meantime to get us in a position to, to be tuned in to listen and hear well? Um, and I tread a little bit cautiously on this because I think a lot of us could hear what I just said and be like, oh, it's like my faith isn't strong enough to hear God. Or like, oh, like I don't believe this, so therefore you're saying God won't speak to me. Um, again, throughout the scriptures, the people who hear God's voice are literally like the gamut and the, the wide range of human experience. Like people who hate God hear from God. Uh, people who don't believe in God hear from God. People who, who believe in God hear from God. People who doubt God hear from God. In the scriptures, it's like God is speaking to all kinds of people, regardless of where they stand in their own personal posture or position towards God. So what I'm not saying is like, if you don't have strong enough faith, you can't hear God. I don't believe that honest questions and internal wrestling is the kind of internal noise that blocks out God's voice. Jonah wasn't interested in wrestling with God. He just wanted to run. Like he wasn't open to a conversation. He just wanted to get out of there. He wasn't up for navigating the tension. So a question might be, how can I doubt and question while still keeping my heart and my hands open to the possibility that God might be speaking? Does that make sense? Um, again, when we were in L.A., we were fairly sure that we were going to be moving at some point. We weren't sure where, and we weren't getting clarity on what was next. And that was like the most pressing question, like, What's the next season hold for us? When is it going to happen? And when can we move? 
where, where and when can we move? Uh, but there was this moment where like, I was, we were asking that question over and over again. And then I had this strong sense, this hunch, this, this, this insight or something, that there were things I was supposed to learn in L.A. that I hadn't learned yet. And that I wasn't ready to leave L.A., and that was, it wasn't like, I was asking, like, where and when are we going to move and leave? And my, the hunch, the word, the, the insight I got was, like, there's stuff that you still have to learn in this place, so be patient and learn those things. So I was like, huh, there's stuff I'm supposed to still learn. So that hunch was consistent, again, with how God had been moving in Chrissy and in the people around us and speaking and directing us through that season. So I started asking not the questions of like, when and where are we going to move, but are there things that I need to let go of before I'm ready to leave LA? Are there hurts? Are there resentments? Is there areas of unforgiveness that I need to move through and process through reconciliation with? Are there relationships that need to be reforged or reconciled? Are there untapped resources where I can find wisdom that I will need for the future? What might be the unfinished business that God is inviting me into now so that I'm ready for the next season. Because we weren't getting any clarity on the next season. We were asking and asking and asking and asking, and there was no clarity. So the question pivoted and changed, and instead it was, what's the work of preparation that you are invited into right now? It's like an image. is like, what luggage might I need to pack up? Like, what's the, what bag do you need to have packed and ready to go so that you might hear God's voice well? Or what baggage might you need to unpack in order to hear God's voice well. I think it's a combination of like packing the stuff up, like the skills and resources and wisdom that we're invited to gain around us, and also to unpack some of the baggage that's kind of keeping us out of tune from hearing what God is inviting us into. Um, I've got a quote from Dallas Willard, and then an invitation. So uh, music folks, you can move up. We're going to Move up to the front. We're gonna, uh, this is Dallas Willard in a, a fabulous book that he wrote called Hearing God. And he says, God is not a mumbling trickster. Dallas Willard. God is not a mumbling trickster. If God wants us to know something, God will both be able and willing to communicate it to us plainly, just as long as we're open and prepared by our experience to hear and obey. God's not a trickster. He's not out to trick us. We're open and prepared by our experience to hear and obey. So a question rising out of Jonah 1. In a world that's surrounded by noise, external and internal, where do we find space for silence? If silence is necessary for us to hear, if it seems to be the way that God speaks, the environments in which God speaks, where are the silent, quiet places for us? We're going to take some time right now, a few minutes of silence, and I'd invite you to do this throughout the week, um, a prompt that can kind of guide our silence if, you, if this is helpful for you. Jesus, we love you and you love us. God, speak. We are listening.